Welcome to Lifestyle Solopreneur, the community for entrepreneurs who put lifestyle first. Join your host, Flavia Barris, as she interviews successful lifestyle solopreneurs and shares ideas to help you find the perfect balance between lifestyle, business, and self. Flavia is an attorney, marketing expert, and founder of several online academies. She's been featured in major media, including BBC World News, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Post, ESPN Television, and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Hey, Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today we get to speak with Spencer Hillegoss. He is the CEO of Madison Investing, a real estate investment club with bespoke curated real estate deals. He founded Madison Investing with a singular mission to help busy, successful professionals invest passively, secure their most valuable asset of all time. By partnering with in-market vetted operators, Madison Investing has $2.3 billion in acquisitions with over 2,000 units. Investors now have access to cash-flowing private real estate syndications and funds, allowing them to enjoy passive returns as these businesses thrive. Before he started all of that, he's what some people would consider a corporate junkie growing operations and sales teams in five high-growth fintech companies over the span of 13 years. In 2019, five months before the pandemic hit us, he broke free from the golden handcuffs to give full focus to serving his investment group and growing Madison Investing. Now he's a full-time investor and entrepreneur. He spends as much time as he wants with his family, and he also hones his skills on the electric guitar. He's a registered member of FINRA and a member of the Forbes 2022 Real Estate Council. Welcome to the show, Spencer. Flavia, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. It's great to have you here. I don't often get to speak to guests who are also in California like me. I love that we're both Cali people because a lot of folks are saying, hey, as soon as you're an entrepreneur, leave the state of California. Taxes are too high. Everything's crazy there. It's too hard to do business. But I've stayed in California, you're in California, we'll get to to geography in a little bit. But before we do, tell us a little bit about how you ended up doing what you do now. What is your story? What inspired you to walk this path? Yeah. And just by the way, ditto on the California comment. (laughs) There's something about the entrepreneurship community, which on one hand is incredibly encouraging and positive. On the other hand, they all want to leave California, man. And, And I, I, Grew up here. I did move out for a good decade or so and live in Colorado along with my my better half and wife and co-founder Jennifer. But I love it here still. So all that to say, very excited to be here and connect with you, Flavia. Like I'm grateful every day that not only do I get to help like other people that are basically living and working within that kind of corporate junkie lifestyle, like you alluded to, every single day I get to talk to folks that are trying to carve out a path forward. For prosperity, spend more time with their kids, but they've been grinding it out in the corporate world, kind of like I did for 13 years. So I initially grew up in a real estate household. My dad was a broker for 30 years. And that was my first exposure to entrepreneurship. He made me work open houses when I was a teenager. There's photos of me sitting on vacant plots of land when he was out there trying to sell it as a broker. That's long story short, like what scared me into tech companies. <laughs> it's just not very cool to tell your friends as you're growing up, hey, I'm going to go and you know clean out a fridge at a rental property, guys. Instead, it was like, wow, let me go run screaming toward these really cool sounding tech companies. And that's somehow what became a 13-year career of building and leading teams uh, for financial tech companies. And as a punk rock kid that thought I was 
way, way anti-establishment and playing guitar and metal and punk bands and getting tattoos and stuff. It's been quite a ride to now be sitting here running like basically a private equity firm along with my spouse and co-founder and basically spending the time prioritizing what I believe to be the right priorities, which is being a great dad, being a present husband and trying to live a life that has you know the priority order correctly slotted. Um, and so that, that's really where we are now. And I mean, one thing I will mention though, is it sounds so clear cut, right? Like I could say the whole narrative, like I just told you, but it's never that clear as you're going through it. And as you probably, I, I'm sure you can attest to from your own experiences as well as an entrepreneur, Flavia, you know, finding one's path is one of, it's wrought with peril. It's one with like high fives, but also tears and laughter and the whole range of emotions, depending on when one pivots and how one decides to carve their own journey. But not to go TMI, but I will mention the biggest lesson that I, I took away from my earlier years and this is even before I got into my 13-year tech career, was watching my dad's business, which was my kind of like, we all have our model of entrepreneurship or business within our parents. You know, if our parents, whatever they did, we, we all are kind of pre-programmed to follow in their footsteps, whether we want to or not. It's just in our minds. And I watched our family go through a really tough time. We kind of call it the dark decade. And so that, you know, that left a real strong impression on me growing up because I lost a younger brother to cancer. It caused parents a divorce. Our family had downsize and... I got to see what happens when a one-income family loses that one income rapidly in a condensed period of time, you know? And so now I'm the dad. Now we have our own company. And I, I just want to implore people out there to think about, are they doing the, the risky move as it's often perceived by going in and sticking in a... Or jumping into a, a entrepreneurship track? You know, if they're thinking about going off and do their own thing, or is it the riskier move working in a company? Uh, make where other decisions are made by other people. And then it took me a long time to get to that realization to where I am now that, man, like entrepreneurship is, I, I now think of as far less risky than that traditional path. So that was a bit of a mouthful, but uh, hopefully, hopefully I didn't put you to sleep on that one. No, and it's a good thing to focus on because you were, you had a 13 year job where, you know, you worked for others and you were part of a team and helping make these companies successful and doing big things. And it's really difficult to jump out of that. We have a lot of listeners who have been in corporate America or the equivalent and work for someone else or feel, even if they don't, maybe they work just for their family business, but they feel sort of trapped in their current role and they would love to break out on their own and be an entrepreneur, start something new or do something different. It's really hard. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I did this and now I do this, but it's hard to make that shift for a lot of people. How did you make that leap? Well, do you have three hours? <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I look back at that time and there was a couple catalyst moments. You know, I think of them as kind of sparks and they lit the fuse on, on kind of the big jump. If I were to pick a point when it first entered my brain, it was when I was on the fifth company, fifth uh, kind of small, earlier stage tech company I was at. I deliberately joined this one company because I would learn the most the fastest. As weird as that sound, I chose to go to this very early stage A-series company, like A-series funding round for tech companies, surrounded by brilliant people. And I took a 40% cash compensation pay cut to go make that move and walked away from a promotion. So in hindsight, I'm like, wow, I guess that was... I don't know. I know the cool term now is intrapreneur. I've heard that in the past decade now. But at the time, I was sitting there going, that felt like such a terrifying decision, Flavia, to say like... Why am I doing this? I'm walking away from one job, getting more money, that's stable to go to an earlier stage company. And it was because 
I saw how sharp and capable the people at this earlier stage company were. So I had this inkling of like, I'm basically making an investment in my education. I don't really know where it's going to go, but there is an economic component of this. And I have to be upfront about it, which is that in Silicon Valley tech companies, I mean, there's plenty of these in Southern California as well, of course, up and down and across the country now. But in Silicon Valley, there's like this unwritten wealth plan and unofficial wealth plan. It's like Silicon Valley lottery. I've heard people refer to it. And of course, I mean, I thought I was going to join this rocket ship company. And it actually has been a rocket ship when I was there. But I was working 18 hours a day in the office, not including email time. And I was hoping by the end of all of it, when it was all said and done, that company would be the next Google, Uber, Meta, aka Facebook, and have a huge exit at the end, absolving all the financial sins that we may have made along the way. <laughs> right? I mean, we were proudly dumping money into 401k doing really great on W-2 income. Jennifer had her own separate career from mine and, and each of us carving our own destinies. Hers as a marketing leader, me more on the operations and business development, et cetera. But my goodness, like I went through a week and a half to two week period where I think I, don't, I didn't see my infant son, our oldest son, while he was awake for like a week and a half, to two weeks. And it was because I was going in so early and I was coming home so late. And at that point, that was the first inkling of like, wow, I'm really going to have to look at this and make a change because this is not the life that I signed up for, man. So pile on a couple more tangible moments. And I would just say a mentor nudged me into the last W2 gig, different company. It was a real estate investing lender, a tech company too, but a real estate investing lender. And I saw, saw these, these employees of mine at this other company. They were doing great in their day jobs. And these were like my direct reports, like folks on the teams that I was like hired to to groom and train and, and, and enable and help scale their teams. And I would watch these folks 10 years younger than me, less quote unquote experience in the corporate sense. They would stick around between the hours of like five to seven unpaid, at least by the company. right? And I was like, wow, what are they doing that's keeping them so engaged and so motivated to stick around and do something? It's not, it's not related directly to the work here, but I was okay with that. They were entrepreneurs. And there was two or three groups of these folks. It was a very pro-entrepreneurship culture within that company. And in hindsight, that's just so darn special. They went off and have since built incredibly successful uh, companies of their own, like three separate ones, the same group. And I sat there and I'm like, man, they have their strengths. I have my strengths. There's no reason that if they can do that, that I can't do that too. And just having that benchmark moment was incredibly powerful, man. I mean, being, being able to see that firsthand and interact with someone firsthand to watch them go fully from idea inception to launch something, to quit, to give me their resignation letter, to go then go do their side hustles, the full hustle. I was like sitting there going, okay, I've seen enough. What's my excuse? <laughs> and I think that that was really it. And it, it, it was the catalyst for um, educating myself. And I voraciously devoured education between the hours of 4 and 6 a.m. for about a two-year period. I think 24 books, which is way more than I needed, and 400 plus podcasts in an 18-month period. It got, got a little obsessive, Flavia, but it got the job done. Well, you had... It was neat for you to be able to see someone else do it because sometimes uh, that belief isn't there until you see it proven, right? Someone you know, right? It could be a mentor, but like you okay. said, you actually saw it. You're like, no, this is real. This can happen. Someone can do this. I can do this. And then you went and did it. But Silicon Valley, like that's its own world. I worked in Silicon Valley. I lived and worked there for three years, felt like 10 because it's a very unique set of people. And for anyone that doesn't know, doesn't follow, Silicon Valley is where a lot of the big tech companies, like if you look at your phone and there's lots of apps on there, most of those are probably based in or were started in Silicon Valley. It's just 
there's so much technology and ingenuity and so many companies get their start there, whether through starting in someone's garage or one person's idea. But that place is frenetic. I mean, it is all about the hustle and taking pride in spending three all-nighters in a row because you're working on this big thing. And the culture is so devoted to workaholism. It's a very unique place, but why do you think there's so much focus on you're probably not making big things happen unless you're spending 12 to 14 to 16 hours a day on it? Gosh, that is an excellent question. I mean, you summed up the narrative and the experience as someone working in the startup world for that time so accurately. Like frenetic is the perfect word. and. I'm grateful to have noticed that over the past few years, because you know, I, we officially started our, our company, you know, the business entity, 2018 for for context. I was doing the work on that business starting in 2016, but I quit to go full time because it was just the work was substantial, and I and I, I saw limited growth. So if I didn't get out of that that day job and just hand in my resignation and go all in, I would have been limiting the growth of our of our investing club now at Madison Investing. So I did that in let's see October. 2019. And since then, well, we've had a pandemic. That was unexpected. <laughs> that was all like five months before COVID hit, I think. But the culture and the narrative, I think, around hustle culture, it's evolved. But my goodness, man, I don't think anyone's prepared. At least I'm not going to sit here and declare or, or be a referee on is hustle culture dead or alive or somewhere in between because everyone seemed to think remote work was going to last for a long time. But I'm pretty sure that that pendulum is swinging back back the other way right now. And it's just the jury's out. I don't think that frenetic pace of early company growth in such a competitive area is going to necessarily go away because there has to be some urgency behind solving big problems. Maybe for another podcast or another discussion, another time, I'll just say my big question for Silicon Valley startups is, is that frenetic energy and hustle culture being aimed at solving meaningful problems? <laughs> that, that That's kind of the, the bigger question that I would have because when I left to a quote unquote high paying job in 2019 with a 13-year career and I'd worked my butt off to go and build, people told me I was crazy and walking away from a great career and to go buy boring real estate. And right about now, I'm pretty sure that boring is the new exciting in 2023. <laughs> so boring, yes. boring sounds great for most people right now. Boring is definitely everyone wants stability because after a time of such instability, and you said like no one expected the pandemic. I don't, yeah, no one did. I read a lot of science fiction, like that's my genre. So I was probably one of the better or least surprised people just because after you read enough of those stories, you're kind of like, oh, okay, so this is happening in real life now. But yeah, it's a very... It's a very strange time where right now everyone wants stability and lower risk and also a little bit more, uh, I would say, conservative, even in, in investing. And we just saw a bank fail and then another and then another. And so there's kind of also a feeling right now of, hey, all these institutions that we thought were very stable and sort of secure and maybe there isn't that out there. And we just each need to create it for our own selves and not really count on others to provide that, including a job. But entrepreneurship's not for everybody. It's one of those things too, where some people also maybe want to be an entrepreneur for a period of their life and then go and do something else. Maybe somebody does want to go through the full circle of working for others and then working for yourself and then kind of ending up more in a passive role. And so you help a lot of people become 
passive investors and have passive income. On the podcast, we do focus often on how to work less in a way that you can still support yourself, um, not just by planning out your lifestyle that way, but also in the way that you do business and the way you invest. Obviously here, we can't give investment advice on the podcast, but tell us a little bit about how you help your clients secure their financial future and you know what that looks like because not everyone listening... Well, a lot of my listeners have heard of the word syndication because we've had some guests on before you who work in that area as well. But why don't you give us the lowdown on what is real estate syndication? What are these investments that your company helps place people in and, and helps create? And a little bit about that. Yeah, man, there's so many wonderful threads I'd love to pull on there. But in service of not going too nerdy, I will just say, I am also a huge sci-fi fan. <laughs> so we'll move on from that one. But yeah, loving the sci-fi content out there right now. So I think from my own personal experience as an investor, that is the lens through which I approach all of this. Because this was not some master plan at the front end. Like Jennifer and I had our own careers as we talked about a moment ago, Flavia. And that's really the genesis of all this, that it organically evolved into what became this business with hundreds of active investors. And so still the lens and will hopefully always be that lens, is like, we find these big buildings, usually apartment buildings, 200 units, 400 units, the same kinds of ones that I've lived in before, I'm sure you've lived in before in different places, uh, predominantly outside of California. And we're talking California, and I love living here. But we look in places for Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina, the Sun Belt, broad chunk of the United States. So we look at big apartment building communities there, and self-storage facilities, just like the, the U-Haul places where we have, Americans love our stuff, they like to buy it. Some people like to forget about it, <laughs> either intentionally or otherwise, and they store them in places. So there's other things that we work on, but those are the lion's share of it. And it just dawned on me after we went through our own phase of buying smaller properties locally, like a duplex we still have now, and then buying some other smaller single-family home rentals in the Midwest. We kind of went through that phase of buying those smaller properties, but then we realized if I buy a, a rental property, and they're, they're fine investments, honestly, we still have some now, but it's not the core focus for our own portfolio. Because we had experiences where we buy a rental in the Midwest, we had a you know, handful in Kansas City, Missouri, for example, the numbers look great on paper. But if I buy that rental, the occupancy goes from 100% to zero when one person leaves. And, and there's no income coming in on that property, the numbers change. It's no longer a wonderful cash flowing property producing that income every month. Once I got this like aha light bulb moment, wait, if we go do the same thing, we have to go find some other people, like a competent manager that's been doing this for years, managing a property with 400 units with real human beings living in it in a place like Dallas, Texas, or, or another market. Maybe it's out west in like Colorado. And if we can partner with them and bring some friends along and we all want to invest together, we can buy a much bigger thing, like a 400 unit apartment building. Because if one, one tenant leaves and stops paying the rent, there's still 399 other ones there. And that light bulb moment as a guy who came from technology and operations and looking at lots of spreadsheets and scaling companies, I spoke the language of business and still appreciate that now because I like predictability. And I think that's a key part of trying to de-risk these things as much as possible that I couldn't really find in the smaller properties. I couldn't really find even in certain other asset classes that I was trying to put my own money into. I'm not one of those myopic only do this type of investing type people. I think the best advice I've ever personally received in investing is that the most important word is the word and, and not or. 
<laughs> so it's about trying to think about things holistically and not do just one thing. And so that that's really all that a syndication is. It's like buying one big thing and owning a piece of it. And it's better to own a piece of a giant pie that produces cash flow. I'm using a metaphor here, clearly. I do like pie, but like you buy a big thing and own a piece of it as opposed to all of one small thing that is ultimately a higher risk profile. So that was it. And, and the things I appreciate, there's three of them. I'm looking for across any type of market, any type of whether it's apartment building or self storage facility in this order, I'm looking for cash flow. Number one, like can it produce cash flow? That's after everything else is paid. If I put money in and I invest, is it going to start producing income back to us like an income stream in the year in the first year? Number two, looking for like meaningful growth or AKA appreciation. So is it going to be able to, to multiply that money? I won't get into like the specifics necessarily beyond that, but I'll just say that that's the kind of stuff that we look for. And then the third is there's some really cool tax stuff. People go to sleep usually when they hear the word taxes. As a guy who worked at the company called Intuit that makes TurboTax and does a third of the company's tax, re- <laughs> tax returns every year, I still thought it was boring 15 years ago. Now I think it's actually fun. Because if you study wealthy people, they care a lot about taxes and they know a lot about taxes. So now it's a little bit more fun to know about it. But those are the three things. It's like it has to have those three characteristics to go and just buy something bigger that you couldn't buy by yourself. And that's really what a syndication is. That's amazing just to be able to boil it down in such easy to understand terms without going into the weeds at all. You know, I will just say to listeners, syndications are amazing, but please don't listen to this podcast and say, okay, I'm going to run out and gather up 20 of my friends and family and let's all buy an apartment building together. Because there's a lot of regulatory hurdles and securities law issues, things that you have to kind of consult with the pros like Spencer before you just go off and do something like that on your own. So I always like to caution listeners, maybe because I'm on the legal side, as someone who's a lawyer and a real estate broker and all of that, I love talking about real estate investing, but I always like to also throw those cautionary points out too. Because my listeners, I know you're going to get excited and say, I want to become a syndicator and I'm going to go out and follow in Spencer's footsteps. But that's something you should not do until you've been involved in that world yourself. Spencer, what advice would you give to somebody who's listening who says, this is it. This is the thing I've been waiting for. I was wondering what I want to do next. I'm not happy in my job. I've always loved numbers. Real estate sounds amazing. How do I get involved in the world that Spencer's in? What would be that first baby step for somebody that wants to follow in your journey? Yeah. Well, and I just need to say, it is so appreciated and refreshing. Everything that you just said right there. (laughs) As a guy who played, I I pride myself on being conservative in the sense of anything related to uh, liability and investing. And Responsible investing is key and education is the foundation of that. So thank you for doubling down on that, Flavia. I really mean that. So I would say there's a plethora of incredible education out there. And the first steps that I took, I took these years ago now, but I would say there's so much more information now, incredible amounts that folks can go out for free and start learning. There's great books. There's great YouTube channels. There's even more podcasts starting with Flavia's here. Like you can go out and just educate yourself and just start asking great questions. What I strongly encourage folks to go do though, is settle into that notion of like, what are your specific goals you're trying to achieve with it? Because if I had to say anything about the whole notion of making income streams, because we, you know, many of us, yourself included, clearly Flavia is like, we've all been exposed to these two phrases. We've heard the things passive income. We've heard the things 
such as going and creating income streams. So income streams, passive income, those don't mean much until someone sits down and thinks about the right lens through which to do it. And that just means if someone's working a full-time job, they enjoy most of the time what they do. What they probably don't think about is, oh, I'm going to go create an entirely new job for myself. So I'll have two jobs. Oh my goodness, it breaks my heart when I hear people that have built beautiful careers W2Ys and they make great income. They have a generally balanced life. And then they say, oh, I want to go invest in real estate. But then instead of making an investment, they go and build a business that they didn't realize they had to go build. And that's what being a syndicator means. So thank you for indulging the diatribe. I will just say there's a difference between investing and building an investing business. So if you have a job, you make good income, you like it most of the time, take extra time to sit down and write down some thoughts and just discuss if you have a significant other in your household. Like, why are you doing what are you doing? If you like the income you've got, you probably don't want to go build another business lightly. That's a big undertaking. It's stressful. And especially if you're going to do it long distance. I have many stories I cannot get into right here and now of people who, have, who are exactly that circumstance in our investing group. And they wish they had gone passive and invested passively instead of diving in and trying to do all this on their own because they didn't have the experience yet. So I didn't want to give you a scared straight diatribe at the end there, Flavia, but you teed me up and I got going on it. So hopefully that lands okay with folks. Go educate, please. Best advice. Absolutely the best advice. So for anybody listening, because I, I could keep you on here if you'd let me for hours, but obviously people listen to this podcast on a commute. We probably have to wrap it up. I wish we didn't have to. But for anybody that is left wanting more, they're like, I need more Spencer and I need to hear more of this, either because they know that they need that as the nudge to move on to whatever's their next journey, their next step, or because they're interested in real estate, they might want to become an investor. They may want to learn more about it. Where would somebody go to follow you, listen to more of what you teach and seek you out? Yeah. And so we have a website, madisoninvesting.com. Folks can go on there and we have a newsletter and folks can sign up for our investing club and request an invite for that. Also, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. And so they can engage with me on there. Spencer, it's been great to have you on. Again, we always focus on work-life balance and ways to structure your life so that your life is what you want it to be. And you're not living somebody else's story or something that you found yourself in, but had never intended. And speaking with you today is such a reminder of all the things that are important. I loved hearing about sort of the the cautionary tales that you called it the dark decade, you know, in your own family. Thank you for sharing. I know that's really hard to talk about, especially publicly, you know, when you've had struggles in, in a family. And it's so, it's so motivating when people hear that you can come out of that, you know, find your path and find the right thing and the right career for yourself. You've helped a lot of people establish passive income. I know from my own experiences that investing in the right real estate investment, especially in a passive role, can be a great way to round out an investment portfolio and to diversify. Again, everybody check with your own financial planners before you make any changes to the way that you set up your finances. Again, never listen to a podcast and just make moves. Listen to the right consultants who work for you and know you and your life and your situation. But Spencer, it's been great to speak with you today. I hope we connect again soon. And I know a lot of people will want to reach out to you to learn more about what you and your company do. Thank you so much for being such an awesome host. This has been a blast. Really appreciate you having me on, Flavia. Guess what, lifestyle solopreneurs? If you don't yet have an online business earning you enough passive income to live the life of your dreams, I'd like to suggest you consider trying out Kajabi. 
Kajabi is an all-in-one solution where you can create and teach online courses, publish a paid newsletter, launch a free or paid podcast, process payments, build one-on-one coaching portals for your clients, and much, much more. I personally use Kajabi to power numerous successful and profitable online businesses. Lifestyle solopreneurs, there's a free trial of Kajabi waiting for you at this link, www.kfreetrial.com. You can try Kajabi for free, no obligation, by going to www.kfreetrial.com. Again, kfreetrial.com, and that K stands for Kajabi. Starting an online business helped me break free from that corporate grind, and I hope it does the same for you. You have nothing to lose and absolutely everything to gain. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and see you next time.